Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. USC and UCLA in the Big Ten, because why not? I mean, on a scale of one to holy crap, that's a big deal. Holy crap, that's a big deal. It changes the conference. It creates competition with the SEC. It's a money play. Holy cow. IU putting out a statement from the IU president, Pamela Witten, and from the director of intercollegiate athletics, Scott Dolson. This is a great day for Indiana University with the news of the acceptance of requests from UCLA and USC to join the Big Ten Conference. Both are highly respected academic institutions that share our committed commitment to premier education and research. Stop it. That's not what the thing that matters here. They do research. I love research. That's not the story. The story is money from football. Beginning to end, the Alpha and the Omega. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. JMV joins us from 93.5107.5, the fan. You hear him from 3 to 6 p.m. over there. And this changes the game. I mean, Big Ten has been wanting to make moves or has been making moves. You see the strength of and the power and the dollars of the SEC. And this is clearly the... No, we're going to be the premier uh, conference, and we're ready to go toe-to-toe. How do you see it? Hey, Tony, this is the evolution of a rebirth that we'd already seen officially underway, and you especially saw it, uh, what, six months or so ago when Oklahoma and Texas made the jump to the SEC. We are well on the path to where you're going to have two mega conferences. We're going to have the Big Ten and the SEC and then everybody else is going to be ultimately playing for third. It's a part of the rebirth. We, we saw it, I think, in a grand stage. And you'd mentioned, you know, research and education. The only thing they're researching is how to make more money, how to get more money out of this. I mean, student, athlete, education, research, all buzzwords. But I think we all know that it's full of crap. It is about the money. And here's what's going to have to happen, at least for the common fan out there. We're going to have to be able to separate what we know of the past and what we thought about college athletics of the past and either accept it for nearly, if not completely, professional coming up here or move on about our day. And that's, I think, what a lot of fans are going to have to come to grip with because this is not over. I mean, you think about Oregon, uh, especially at Pac-12 schools, Oregon, Arizona, Arizona State, Washington is going to be floating around out there. And then obviously that's going to have a ripple effect. We'll see if Notre Dame joins the party, kind of contractually obligated of sorts to the ACC, what they might end up doing as far as their football independence is concerned. But there's going to be a ripple effect of this. It's far from over, and this is just the direction we're going, like it or lump it. Let me give you the statement from the Pac-12 that they put out yesterday. While we are extremely surprised and disappointed by the news coming out of UCLA and USC today, we have a long and storied history in athletics, academics, and leadership and supporting student-athletes that we're confident will continue to thrive and grow into the future. The Pac-12 is home to many of the world's best universities, athletic programs, and alumni, representing one of the most dynamic regions in the United States. Without UCLA and USC, and really, if we can get a little more into it, was we talking about the money? And I don't think you're being cynical. I don't think I'm being cynical. I think we're we're seeing it clearly for what it is. You're taking away the Los Angeles television market. 
which yep. means you're talking away, a, taking away a tremendous amount of opportunity for those other Pac-12 schools, which is now I, I don't even remember how many teams now are in uh, the, the the Pac-12. What's their plan if we're talking about super conferences? It, it, you know, who who can they absorb, or are their teams specifically like Oregon that are looking for the exits? No, I, I think that is specifically like Oregon and looking for the exits. I, to me, the, the Pac-12 is going to dwindle to the point to where, you know, we've all been talking about people have said, because of Gonzaga and their success in basketball, you've got to get out of that conference. You've got to join another conference. Well, they don't have football to lean on. You know, I think that's going to be an aspect of, you know, what may happen if the Pac-12 continues to go or if it just fades away forever. You know, you're talking to a school like Gonzaga, maybe a school like San Diego State. But uh, otherwise, what, Cal Santa Barbara? I mean, you know a great deal about Southern California and the area right there. I, UNLV, I don't know what they're going to do. Will they poach from the Mountain West? I don't know what's going to happen, but they're going to lose a lot more schools. And you can look at, and we'll see about the rivalry they have going on with Oregon and Oregon State and Arizona and Arizona State. Something's certainly going to happen there. There's no doubt that conferences certainly would covet both Arizona and Arizona State. Prob- certainly Oregon, not Oregon State, and certainly Washington and not Washington State, Colorado, Utah. Yeah, there's just going to be now a scramble to find a certain money-making type of seat. And frankly, for schools that size, I don't know if the Pac-12 is going to hang together as far as the schools are concerned, if you know Oregon State stays. But you're going to see them add maybe some, to me, some just basketball, non-football schools, just some schools to kind of fill the gaps here that maybe people thought would never happen. I mean, it was it was a huge afternoon yesterday of news, again, and that evolution of the rebirth of college athletics as, as we know it. It's just never, ever going to be the same. Talking to JMV from 93.5 and 107.5, uh, the fan in Indianapolis. Is this the best move for college football? Having this this concentration of power, concentration of wealth, conf- uh, the, the, this concentration of, of the television contracts. Does this make college football better, or is there a problem on the horizon? Well, I mean, for me, and I'm an old fart, I think it sucks. I think the whole thing sucks, but I do get it. You know, and I certainly recognized it. It was coming over the years. Um, and, and you saw a dramatic change over this past year with all the transferring. I mean, when you look at college athletics, Tony, right now, it mirrors what you see professionally. They have their version of free agency, all right? They have their version of free agency. When you go into the transfer portal, you go wherever you want, whenever you want to go. Um, you also have the NIL. So that's for these kids to be able to pick up money somehow, some way, or for schools like Miami, like they did with Nigel Pack, to dangle a $400,000 package from an alumni that's an attorney down there and bring somebody that probably would, would have made a different decision and gone someplace else, maybe Purdue even, but decided on Miami because of that financial package. It resembles now more than ever professional sports because that's basically what it is. And I, I guess if you really want to get back to the days of, of real college athletics, you can probably find it with the mid-majors and the low mid-majors, but you're really going to go have, have to go that far. And, you know, some of these schools are going to end up getting poached 
because of the changes in these conferences as well. I mean, you look at what the, the Big 12 is going to have to do, uh, what the Pac-12 may have to do. They're still going to be scrambling, and that will also water down what we view as the mid-major, the lower mid-major, kind of really being like the college athletic experience we know it is all fading and going away right before our eyes, Tony, and it's never coming back. The NIL stuff, name, image, likeness, this is the ability of college players to be able to profit off of who they are. They're not necessarily getting paid by the school, but rather uh, they can put their name to uh, a local business. They can uh, uh, sell uh, or, or, or uh, license their image, and so there are these great financial opportunities, which is getting paid so now you have these players making decisions as you're talking about with miami there where they're making a decision based on who can offer them the most amount of opportunity and that means major markets and major media markets which puts an iu and a purdue university in a bad spot even though they're in the right conference it makes them amongst the right conference lesser schools because usc and ucla offer a los angeles market so are these universities thinking differently in how they do recruiting i think also you know people will also argue tony oppositely here well not only does that you know open up you know a it, it opens up a huge can of worms as far as you know the la market and being able to recruit and all and how you're going to compete within the big 10 for some of these other schools but others would argue that now you've got even more of a spotlight on you know what you might be able to do in the midwest because in the past the common theory was all right if you got a kid that's from southern california you know he wants you know, his his parents to be able to watch, and I, I know that it's certainly easier, and you can watch really anything that you want, but geography, as you talked about at the outset of our conversation, is no longer an issue. Clearly, with the Olympic sports, they're not going to care at all, Tony, about what happens as far as flights, five-hour flights here or there. I mean, Rutgers, the UCLA is, you know, basically four and a half hours plus to get from either place midweek for a basketball game, much less, you know, talking about rowing or lacrosse or something like that. So what they're saying is they don't care. It depends on what you're looking at as far as recruiting is concerned. Many around here would suggest, well, it opens up a lot more eyeballs in Southern California on the West Coast, Oregon, Washington, what have you. Um, you could also make the argument that maybe these, these kids more after stay home because, you know, now you got USC and UCLA in the, in the Big Ten. Um, honestly, I think we'll have to see that one play out. Um, there's no doubt about that. And what we also have to see out, Tony, is, is what else is going to happen because this is just kind of the, the tip of the iceberg. When we went through this last time, just when you thought it was over, you had another ripple effect again. So we'll see what happens in the ACC, North Carolina, Duke, Clemson, Florida State, as I'm assuming these schools are all now thinking about scrambling and finding a much better deal revenue-wise than what they presently have right now. But wouldn't that just be... What yesterday did was unearth all of it again, and it's not going to stop. But wouldn't that just be some of these uh, other conferences looking at other conferences and saying, okay, what can we pull together and create their own large size? The ACC has players, and, and, and the Pac-12 still has players in it. Is that now a new conference? Um, well, I mean, well, they're going to stay. You're talking about UCLA and USC will stay in the Pac-12 until 2024. Um, and then it will officially, what, 2024, 20, 25, I think, will officially switch over 
to uh, to the Big Ten. But, yeah, I mean, they'll play out their conferences for the final couple of years here, those two teams, and we'll see if other teams go on about their business as well. But, yeah, they have to play out the obligation of their contract, and then they're able to start ultimately in the, in the Big Ten. You know, the thing of it is the Big Ten has done this magnificently. Their network has, has been and gone over great, and that's – where it all starts here. The television the network, you mean. That is generated, that Larry Scott, you know, the commissioner of the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 network never really got going. People out West were always not so satisfied with what they put together. And this is what the Big Ten has done. And this is the money. It's the revenue. It's the ads, whether it's the Big Ten network or also Fox mixed in nationally with this. But it is all the creation of these conference networks and which one did it better and clearly, you're looking at the uh, the Big Ten Network, the SEC Network, as being the the biggest ones. And and Tony, as I mentioned at the outset of the conversation, one of these days, that's what we're going to be looking at: two mega conferences, and then everybody else is kind of find a seat someplace else and and make money, keep that revenue flowing at a high level, and you know stay recognizable. That's what I'm sure a lot of those a little higher than mid level schools are thinking about trying to do right now, and and maybe talking themselves up and hoping that they end up getting a seat at one of these these big conference tables right now. But it's not going to happen for everybody, but all the big schools certainly are going to go. Before I, I let you go, one of the other big pieces of news sports-wise, Kevin Durant, Brooklyn Nets, signs the massive extension, leaves uh, uh, sac- uh, Golden State uh, to, to head over, and now all of a sudden he's asking for a trade. How did everything go wrong in Brooklyn, and where does he go? No, but he just wants to get his way here. I mean, he left Golden State because everybody was saying, hey, you did this in winning titles on the shoulders of Steph Curry. He wanted to prove to everybody that he could get his own big three together, and then they could win a title, and they would be on his shoulders. But what he did prove is that what he put together or helped put together in Brooklyn, whether it was James Harden or Kyrie Irving, went over like a lead balloon. And what really what really surprises me is the reports out there that he and Kyrie Irving are a package deal because the chief reason why he and Brooklyn has been such a cataclysmic failure is because of Kyrie Irving. It's because of James Harden wanting out. You know, and I understand, it, to me, if you want to go someplace, you don't want to be in Kyrie Irving. You don't want to be anywhere near Ben Simmons, who was trying to make that comeback in Brooklyn as well. I would understand being tired of it, but this is all his creation, and that is really what the NBA has as an issue. I mean, these guys just all of a sudden decide they can go up and leave, and they're going to find a seat at the best team. Right now, Durant wants to end up in Phoenix. Well, you know, obviously so. That would make a great deal of sense. So now Phoenix is scrambling to try to put together a package to fit in Kevin Durant. I'm sure that the Lakers are trying to do the same thing with Durant and Irving. But what we see here is just what we've seen in basketball players at the elite level in the NBA for a while. They pick and choose where they want to play, what they want to do, who's going to be their teammates. And if that whole thing fails, they move on and try to do it again. And that's just kind of what we've gotten used to, right? It's like college athletics. It's not the old school days of college athletics we see right now. It's not the old school days of, you know, putting together a team and staying with that team. You're going to go where you think you best fit to win that title. And clearly the time ran out for Brooklyn with Kevin Durant. I'm just shocked that he wants to take or be anywhere near Kyrie Irving in this entire process because that's a chief reason why that was such a failure for him and his team in Brooklyn in the first place. 
any blame put on COVID and on, on the restrictions? Um, I don't put any blame on COVID, I don't think. No, nah, I mean, they got bounced, what, in four straight by Boston in the first round. They just weren't ready for it. Kyrie Irving, I mean, Kyrie Irving didn't play. I guess if you're going to put a blame, it was his decision regarding COVID that came down to it. But there's a lot more going on than there was just decisions out of Kyrie Irving and, and COVID. You just – he's pretty much torn down teams pre-COVID wherever he's been. He might take you there, and he might be a good reason, Tony, why you get there, but he's also a huge reason why you don't ultimately get to the highest level, whether we're talking about Boston or Cleveland or any of those places. Um, normally, he is the biggest reason why things fall apart, and he kind of leaves a little bit of wreckage, so to speak, in his wake, and that's exactly what he is doing, along with Kevin Durant with Brooklyn. So you kind of just say, eh. And it serves you right. You roll in on these guys, and they, they're they going to leave you hanging, and uh, Brooklyn's going to be hanging for a, a long period of time. There's no doubt about it. JMV, 93.5107.5, the fan. I appreciate you taking the time. Have a wonderful Independence Day. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. One of the pieces of fallout from the overturning of Roe v. Wade is that vasectomies are up. Oh, God! It's happening. It's happening. People are saying, oh, I can't rely on just being able to get an abortion. I guess I'll have to engage in personal responsibility and ensure I'm not getting people pregnant. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Now, I think there are people who would argue that maybe there's a, a, a moral reason, a religious reason you shouldn't even get a vasectomy. What? But, uh, oh, you know that that's true. I didn't know that, no. I think that there are people who would argue uh, that uh, that that is not, you know, you, you shouldn't do that to yourself. This is this is about uh, you being able to control yourself. And this is about uh, 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 purposes of, of procreation, things like that. I, I think there are people who make that argument. I just think it is a massive minority of people. In the end, no one's going to tell you, hey, you shouldn't do that or, or, or engage in that way because they wouldn't know unless you told them. Right, you having uh, you doing this is is you doing this because it's you doing it to yourself as opposed to an abortion, which is you doing something to someone else. That's that's of course the argument. So on that level, people taking responsibility—that's the fallout of Roe. Cool, cool, good. People taking personal responsibility is pretty damn important. Me, I'm, I mean. Do, do what you will. You can get yourself a bag of frozen vegetables and just relax for a day or two. And I think, from what I'm told, you'll be all right. Me, still fully intact. It's just how I roll. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. So new laws are in effect, including more taxes in the state of Indiana. How lucky we all are. No, really, it's just fantastic. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Guys, happy Independence Day. Enjoy. Have fun. And remember, it's not the 4th of July. It is Independence Day. It matters 
greatly. Go read the Declaration of Independence. It's good for you. It builds character. Also, uh, it, it, it lets you know, you know that uh, there was a time where we did say enough is enough. And sometimes you got to say enough is enough. The new laws going into effect, and there's a series of them. One of the big ones, of course, is uh, putting an end to permits for uh, firearms in the state of Indiana. Now, this does not mean you don't have a background check. Of course you have a background check. That did not go away. You just don't need a permit to carry a handgun. You can carry one because you have the Second Amendment, which is the right answer. And whether it be the... uh, prosecutor in Marion County, Ryan Mears, or, or police, or a host of others who say it makes their job more difficult, makes the job of policing much more difficult, puts them in more danger. No, it, it, it doesn't. I have to assume, make the assumption that police, when they are engaged in a traffic stop or anything else, They're going in thinking that it could be a problem. They're going in thinking that someone could be armed. This is what they're trained for. That doesn't change. Somebody having a permit doesn't change this. The argument would therefore go into this idea of, well, what you're saying is you want to have more tabs on people, more tabs on the citizenry. You don't actually believe in their ability to engage their rights. That's the argument. Because rights do not come into conflict with safety. And the anti-gun people, they they don't they, they, they don't play in this at all. They think that your ability to have a firearm makes them more unsafe. Of course, this is not true. Wasn't there just a study? Wait a second. I I how did I not have this? There's a study. Here it is. Here it is. Uh, It is a study uh, from George Mason University, and uh, they showed that gun ownership is higher in states with fewer restrictions, and homicide rates in these states are lower. People can protect themselves. That's uh, from uh, a professor emerita, Joyce Lee Malcolm, talking to Fox News Digital. So let's, let's say it again. Gun ownership does not lead to higher homicide rates. That's not what we are told. Fox News Digital compiled FBI data going back to to 2019 detailing murders and gun murders per 100,000 population for most states. And then they uh, got info from the Rand Corporation that was released in 2020 showing percentages of households with at least one firearm in 2016. I know, a lot of different dates, but follow me. The data doesn't reflect in any way the skyrocketing violent crimes of 2020 and undercounts most probably the current percentages of homes with at least one firearm. So... They admit that while they've gotten as much data as they can, it's not perfect. But what they have shows that the data in many states with higher percentages of gun ownership had lower or similar murder and gun murder rates to states with strict control. This study is putting an end to the idea that somehow because you own a firearm, someone is most likely more likely to get murdered with that firearm. It's not true. 
This study adds on to this long conversation about this and directly refutes the lies of groups like Moms Demand Action and a host of others, which are interested only in the fear-mongering about firearms. That's their whole purpose. That is their raison d'etre. That's who they are. Only with firearms do we fearmonger. If you see a gun, you panic, you cry, you scream, you get triggered. It's a, it's a play on words there. If you see somebody with a gun, you note that they have a gun. It doesn't mean that something bad's going to happen. It means you're aware. And if they're concealed, you don't even know they have it. So just go about being in the supermarket and buying your, your Frosted Flakes, which are delicious, by the way. Not as, as good as uh, Honey Nut Cheerios, which is the greatest cereal ever made. Period. Right? You could tell me about Apple Jacks, which, you know, are, I, I've only had a couple times in my life, but they are delicious. Just my mom didn't buy them, and I don't buy them as an adult because she hated me, and now I hate myself. That's obviously what happened. Honey Nut Cheerios, perfect food. Perfect. That and the Egg McMuffin, two things I could eat anytime. If you put a bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios in front of me right now, I would eat them while doing the show, which is no way to do a show. Eating cereal and doing radio does not mix. Like pig and elephant DNA, just doesn't splice. It's a fascinating study. You can get more about that at BearingArms.com. So permitless carry in Indiana. Then they are uh, taxing vaping products, which I absolutely oppose. A 15% tax on e-cigarette cartridges and a 15% retail tax on other vaping products. Taxation is punitive. They want to change your behavior, so they charge you more money. So it's a tax on who? The poor. Because rich people could still afford it. And yet you'll have groups out there that will crow about how good this is and important this is and we're really going to put an end to vaping. No, you're just going to tell poor people they can't do their thing. Tax on soda, you're telling poor people they can't do their thing. Tax on meat, you're telling poor people they can't do their thing. That's what you're saying. And it's always the do-gooders. Oh, I hate do-goodery. I despise do-goodery because it very rarely does good. You, it, it is an assault on people of lower incomes. It's telling them that they don't get to participate in their life as they see fit because you, you elitist do-gooder snob, think you know what's best for them. I can't convince you this is bad. I can't show you via data this is bad. So therefore, I price it out of you. I price you out of it. That's gross. That is elitism, authoritarianism, nanny state garbage. And the people in favor of that should be embarrassed. I don't know why they hate people who, who don't make as much money as them, but they do. And it's all predicated on the elitism. They know best. They know what's best for you. Pat, pat on the head. You'll thank us later. Then, of course, there is the overturning of Governor Holcomb's nonsense veto of the transgender sports bill. Boys are not girls and girls are not boys and men are not women and women are not men. Never have been and never will be. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. And it doesn't matter how you feel to the rest of the world. It may very well matter to you. I don't judge that in the slightest. I may not understand it, but I'm not you. I don't get to make that call. Children, oh, you better believe we get to make the call. Children can't decide their gender. Children cannot decide their gender. There was a whole thing 
uh, going on. Where Where is that story as well? Man, I've got a ton of stories, and I'm not sure where where it is. It was it was the story from MSNBC, and Twitchy had this, which takes a look at things going on on Twitter. MSNBC reports that transgender kids have become the ground zero in the conservative culture war. This is absolutely not it. This was their headline uh, on, on one of their tweets to an opinion piece. Someone in Washington is finally listening to trans kids. Will it actually help them? What do you mean trans kids? What are you talking about? Trans kids. Um, children can't make this decision. Why are you normalizing this? Why are you engaging in this level of abuse? This is a different conversation than how a kid may feel. You'll note when I say, why are you? I'm clearly talking to adults. Adults who push this. Adults who want this. Adults who go about one of the great ugly statements of of the last year. We need gender affirming care. You mean let children act out on their feelings as opposed to helping them through their feelings. When they're adults, they might make decisions, but children can't make decisions to engage puberty blockers or surgeries that will destroy them if they should change their mind. And will destroy them even if they don't. Kids can't make medical decisions for themselves. And as the follow-up to the, the idea of what's going on in sports... A boy deciding they're a girl, which simply you shouldn't allow because they're children and children need to be protected more often than not from themselves, doesn't mean that young girls in sports have to take a back seat because this boy who is physically stronger is entering the fray. What was the story about the skateboarder, producer Ari, that there was this 29 or 30-year-old transgender man? In a skateboarding competition against a boy like, who decided they're a girl who who won a skateboarding competition against a thirteen year old. Yeah, that's my thing. Is like, why is an adult competing against kids in the first place? That's weird. I don't, I don't have the answer, but I will tell you if you think that's okay, you're awful. I I, I want to make sure I'm clear. That's awful. You're just wrong. You're being awful when you say, yeah, that's good. It's not good. There are plenty of times men and women compete. And there are times where men win and time win and times where women win and it could be in a whole grouping a, 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 a whole series of fields. In sports, you're telling young girls that they have to lose. If it's a sport where where physical strength matters a lot. I don't know why you're in favor of this. Oh, it, it's a hatred. Of women, it's erasing women. The more you look at this uh, trans movement, man, hateful. They're engaged in hate. Hatred of children, hatred of women. Count me out. There are adults making decisions for themselves, and I don't have to understand it. I agree. But that doesn't mean you're allowed to affect other people. You have to accept them, and you have to let them compete. No, no, I don't. Women are real. Women exist. Uh, big fan. Huge fan of women. And they shouldn't be erased. And Governor Holcomb was wrong to veto this legislation. Well, it's not a problem here in Indiana. And the Indiana High School Athletic Association has a handle on this. No, they don't. They're not the arbiter. 
parents are allowed to have a handle on this and Hoosiers are allowed to have a handle on this. So I was very, very happy to see the override. I'm glad it's now law. It, it's, it's only a shame that we needed a law. And I only hope Governor Holcomb sees that vetoing this was a mistake. He didn't engage in a kindness. He was afraid to get involved. He didn't want to have his stamp on the thing. And I believe, based on what we hear, I mean, to the extent that you believe any level of rumor. He wants to be the new head of the NCAA. And maybe that's his plan after being governor. Well, if you want to be the head of the NCAA, you got to be okay with all these things, even though FINA, the World Swimming Association, made it very clear. You engage a transition after puberty, you don't get to compete. Now, some people have argued, and I certainly do have a concern about this, is this therefore pushing the idea of transitioning as a child before puberty? They're like, absolutely not. I think they just set a time certain, and, and uh, they, they did it based on biology, and I don't know if I want to get angry at them. I, I don't know if that's helpful. But then again, if you're letting an 11-year-old determine their gender, again, I think that's abusive. I think that's awful to do to kids. Really awful. So maybe that's Governor Holcomb's decision-making there. I, I, I don't know. That, that is all uh, a bit of, of speculation, and I, I admit to that. So those are some of the laws coming in uh, to play. Um, you also have an increase in the gas tax. The gas tax in Indiana has increased as of, as of today. Was it five? It, it's not five cents. No, it's it's more than that, isn't it? Or did it just go up five? Yes, it went up five cents to twenty nine point one cents a gallon. That's right. With gas prices at $5 a gallon, gas uh, taxes went up in Indiana. And it also increased the, the sales tax. But was it, was it a penny? I think that's what it was. The federal tax is 18.4 cents. Uh, then uh, you've got uh, state taxes, the excise tax, which went from 32 to 33 cents. And now you add on top of that the 29.1 cents. So you're paying in Indiana 80 cents on every gallon in taxes. Not cool. Not something to be proud of. I'll say it again. Republican supermajority. Ain't that something. But if you want to forget... We're at least talking about weed. They are discussing, they've got a summer study committee to focus on what's known as Delta 8 and Delta 9, other THC products. So Delta 8 comes from hemp, legally federalized in the 2018 Farm Bill. It's a weaker high than Delta 9, which is the chemical found in marijuana. Producer Ari can tell you all about this. Woo-hoo! I say it again for the people in the cheap seats. When marijuana is legalized, I am opening a dispensary. Kosher Kush is happening. 
either that it's or it's going to be called TK's Happy Fun Time. One, one or the other. Take your pick. Um, you knowing me, I would do a much more high end kind of place than that. But I'm opening a dispensary because I am so fearful of Indiana trying to create a world where only certain people can get a license. You got to already be licensed for this. You got to be a medical professional. What, what have you? No, 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 no. If it's legal to sell marijuana in Indiana, if Tony Katz can't get a license, no one gets a license. And I don't even think the stuff should be licensed. But it's going to be. I'm going to lose that battle. Uh, licensing. Oh, it drives me crazy. I'm getting one. And if, I, if they tell me no, I'm suing everybody and their mother. Just letting you know how it's going to go down. I don't have to be the first license, but I have to be able to get a license the minute I apply for it. Just some of the things going on in Indiana, guys. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Independence Day. Man, I'm ready for a couple days. I've got the pellet grill ready to go. I have got the sides all planned out. I've got the cigar picked. You can actually go to WIBC.com and see my cigar picks for Independence Day. I'm ready. And producer Ari, not invited. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today.